Oh man, like when story, resiliency, ethnicity, uh, healing, grief, and like like race and like all of that, when that combines, like that is like where I find my calling. Like I've read Parker Palmer's book, Let Your Life Speak Twice this year. And like, I have discovered the calling that God has on my life. And it has radically changed how I show up and how God uses me out of just me being me. Welcome to Listener, a crew podcast. I'm your host, Sam Holland. I met today's guest, Sundia Oaks, on the Listener Podcast Instagram account. One day I asked followers what they wanted to hear about on the podcast or who they wanted to hear from. And Sundia responded with lots of suggestions, one of which was the topic of transracial adoption, which happens to be part of Sundia's story. So I invited Sundia on the show to talk about transracial adoption and tell us her story. Enjoy the show. Well, Sandhya, welcome to Listener Podcast. Right before we started this recording, you started to tell me about the origins of your name. Could you share that with us? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. I am excited to be here. Um, yeah, a little bit about my name story. Uh, I actually, so my name is Sandhya Oaks, and I um, originally born was born in India, and I was adopted from there. And I grew up with a different name my whole life, first and last name. And um, growing up, I was known as Jen, actually. And about 10 years ago, I ended up uh, looking at a baby photo in this little book of mine. And I saw this photo, a Polaroid picture, and it said my full first, last name, and then a date. And I, when I looked at the date, I was like, wow, that's when I was in India. And um, I got curious and I took it out of the plastic, flipped it over, and that's how I found my name. It said, they call her Sundia in the nursing home hospital. And so that's what someone had written on the orphanage, from the orphanage on the back of the photo. And Sundia actually means um, to connect darkness to light and a lower power to a higher power. And so I started inviting my friends and others to call me Sundia. And um, then about almost five years ago, I legally changed my name to Sundia Oaks. And so, and um, fun, Fun fact about my last name, it actually comes from Fort Collins, Colorado, from Oak Street. Um, As I was praying and asking God um, when it came time to change my name, it just felt really right to be able to change my whole name. And so I'd gone to Fort Collins for CSU and said, God, like, would you give me a new last name? Would you reveal it to me? And um, a friend of mine and I were walking down uh, like an old town and happened to see Oak Street and it just kind of stood up to me. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to pray about this. I think that this might be a little sign from the Lord. The next day at CSU at one of the sessions, uh, Candace Seward came up to me and said, hey, Sundia, I got to tell you something. I was hiking in the mountains yesterday and I saw a sign um, that had my old last name and a retreat next to it. The, it was the name of the retreat center. And she said, um, I started praying for you and God told me that if you ever change your name, I'm supposed to help you pay for it. And literally, <laughs> literally, there's just no way she would have known that because I didn't tell friends that I was going to change my whole name. I didn't tell people 
that I was actually um, praying about a new name even in Colorado. Um, and so that kind of confirmed it. And for the next couple of weeks, uh, Oaks would show up here and there and everywhere. And that led me to go to court with a bunch of my friends and legally change it. So kind of, it's just really, it's a sweet story of God's, I mean, he, he knows how to surprise someone. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that story. And I love that it happened in Fort Collins, such a special place to so many of us for so many years, having staff conference there. And listeners, you can't see, but I can see. And Sundia's wearing a Pikes Peak Colorado shirt right now. So we had talked a little bit about Colorado before we got on the call. Well, I love the story of, of the origin of your name. Can you tell us more about... Um, being born in an orphanage in India and being adopted? Yeah, yeah. So I um, don't have a lot of story from the beginning um, because I was in an orphanage the first year of my life and then I was adopted. Um, Most of, obviously, my memories are from growing up here in the United States. Um, Growing up, um, being adopted was unique. I didn't know anybody else who was adopted. And I grew up in a really small town um, in Wisconsin. And my family, um, they uh, I was the only person adopted in my family and uh, only person of color in my family. And in school, up until I was about sixth grader, a sixth grader, I was the only person of color in my school. And I didn't see people around town that looked like me. and it didn't necessarily make or break my journey, but it definitely stood out to me that there was no one I could look to like as a mirror to say like, I see someone who looks like me and it's good and it's affirming. Um, And so I'd say that there was some wondering like, is Brown good? And is it good to be um, Indian or is it not? And I know that other people around me weren't used to being around someone of color and some of the things that I heard as a result of that um, just have wounded me. Like some of the comments about my skin color or about being adopted or being Indian. Um, yeah, there are some wounds for sure there because of people not understanding um, what it means to have the fullness of God surround you. And so um, representation of God surround you. And so um, I think too, in that, my parents, my family never talked about adoption in a good way, nor did they talk about uh, being a little girl of color um, in a positive way. Like it was never good that I was adopted. It was, um, yeah, they just shared some really hard things around my story that made me feel like a lot of shame around being adopted. And then as things happened at school, um, I experienced some Um, pretty hard racism um, in middle school and I came home and I told my parents and my parents said well that's get over it like it's not true just get over it and the only reason they said it wasn't true is because someone had said something that associated me with a different ethnicity and so they were trying to say well it doesn't pertain to your ethnicity so get over it and so I never had someone to enter into those conversations with of um, the ways I've been wounded in my story around um, my skin color, my ethnicity, and so on. So at what point in your life did you start to um, 
have someone that you could dialogue with those things about? Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring us right back to Colorado to Fort Collins. Um, uh, crew 15, I, um, when I entered into crew 15, I knew that there was talk about it being a little bit heavier of a crew and we were going to talk about ethnicity and culture. And in the back of my mind, I was like, oh yeah, we're going to talk about culture. And that's people who know their culture, who are associating with their culture, who um, live it out. And so I think I was like, I just had the separation in my mind that that wasn't me. And I remember sitting in Moby hearing Dr. James White speak. And one of the one of the most profound things I took away from his talk was uh, that the Bible does not try to erase ethnicity like we've tried to erase ethnicity. And when I heard that, it, it honestly hit me like a ton of bricks. I remember being like, I think that was for me. I think I needed to hear that. But I was still kind of curious as to why and what that meant. And um, after that session had let out, I went to the bathroom and as I was washing my hands, there's always a long line of women um, waiting in line because there's only so many bathrooms in Moby, let's be honest. And as I was washing my hands, I looked in the mirror and in the reflection, I saw this long line of women who were white, who didn't look like me. And I had this like aha moment of, oh my gosh, like I'm not them. Like that's that's not, they don't represent me. And it was like this pretty, like yeah, a, a big awakening for me of, I know I'm not white, but it was like an affirmation like, you are a woman of color and um, there's something there for you. And so, I felt like that was God's invitation to me to dig in. And so I just started dialoguing with the Lord, like, what does this mean? Um, and so I started pulling a couple near uh, close friends into the conversation with me because it was it was a little confusing. There was some shame and um, I didn't understand really where to go. And so I left Colorado um, at like the, probably like a week later, I left Colorado thinking, okay, I want to dive in and know more of my background and know more of what it means to be um, an Indian woman. Um, and so I started asking people, um, what does it mean to them to be a person of color? And I started reading books. I started looking online and I started going on Pinterest and pinning Indian food um, and just I guess you could say like, I, I kind of attribute it like a documentary. If I were making a documentary, what are the things I want to know about my background, my culture, um, my heritage? And so I kind of approached it like, what are the foods? What are the tra traditions? Who are the influencers in the Indian culture? And so I just started diving in. Okay, so I'm piecing together this timeline. So it was tw at Crew 15, which if you're listening and you were at Crew 15, you probably remember this was a really kind of a watershed moment for Crew because it was our first staff conference where we talked all together as U.S. staff about racism. And we had our colleagues who are people of color getting on stage and telling their story about racism in the organization. And I know it changed my life and Darren's life forever. It just opened our eyes to so many injustices and so many realities. And um, if so, and if you're listening and you weren't at Crew 15, that's a really important context for you to know about Crew and where we are on our journey. Um, so for you, that was a moment 
where you looked in the mirror and you saw who, more authentically who you really were. And James White affirmed that for you in Moby. But it was five years before that that you saw the baby picture and changed your name, right? It was 2010. Did I get that timeline I, right? Yeah, I, yeah, it was. I'm trying to think if it was, it was my second of interning years. So it was 20, uh, 2009 is when I had saw that baby picture. Okay. So can you tell us more about like what was happening before that? How you came on staff? Did you grow up knowing Jesus and what happened between 2010 and 2015 on your journey of identity? Yeah. So for me, I grew up in a home um, we like, yeah, I feel like everyone starts their story with like, I grew up in a home and my home, uh, though we went to church, there was no sign of, um, or talk about a relationship with Jesus. There was no, um, like, yeah, deeper connection. Uh, it didn't come out of a relationship. It came more out of a religious practice. And so I went to church every Sunday, but I had a, I was confused about who God was, and um, I. What confused me was that I would hear that He was this good God at um, church, but in my home and in my upbringing, there was no goodness. And I say that meaning the family who adopted me ended up regretting adopting me, and I grew up in a very traumatic home with um, just. A lot of trauma and so um unfortunately when i turned 18 i was disowned by my family my adoptive family and i what kind of i guess you could say uh helped me be resilient and move forward was um it was this phrase that no one can make you have a bad day and it was like this glass half full i've always been positive i've always been curious and i think that those are some of the things that kept me moving forward and i learned quickly how to avoid my pain and how to um yeah, how to push it away and how to cope with other things. And so I think those things served me as a little girl growing up. And those are the things I brought with me into college. I didn't really press into hard stuff for my story early on in college. I just kind of wanted to move forward and um, just have fun and be lighthearted and not think about the, the darkness in my past. And then my senior year of college, <laughs> kind of funny. I ended up going to a crew weekly meeting, but I hadn't really gone to crew before. And I heard about spring break trip um, they used to hold called Big Break. I signed up for this conference, went down with about 25 strangers. And I thought it was like a Habitat for Humanity trip, personally. Like, no one told me we were going to share the gospel. So I went down there thinking we were going to build a church or something. And I mean, we did outreach all week, which was um, so new to me. And then, um, at the end of the week, I sat down with a staff member and um, the staff guy uh, just let me engage in a lot of questions and curiosity that I had about who Jesus was and what is a personal relationship and what does that mean? And at the end of that conversation, um, I think I just overcame this fear of of um, not knowing him and being afraid of saying yes to something that I didn't know. And I ended up praying to receive Christ at uh, Big Break. And it 
it changed me. I mean, I came back to campus and I could not stop telling people about what God had done on spring break. And others saw it really just on my face and in my actions and in my words. And that led other people around me who, like in my sorority, who weren't believers yet, a couple of the gals, who then a couple of weeks later after spring break ended up giving their lives to Christ. And I just continued to see God move and I was invited into a discipleship relationship with a staff gal, um, Jenna, and she just taught me more about what does it look like to read the Bible, to understand more of the gospel, and how to, um, yeah, what an identity in Christ is and what is how to live out of that. And so that's kind of where a lot of my journey began before graduating college. And then post-graduation, like, I just knew I wanted to, yeah, I was captivated by sharing my faith and getting to be able to tell others about the story of the gospel. And so um, it kind of felt like a no-brainer to intern for a couple years. And then I felt the call to come on staff and continue to serve in this ministry. And so it's been a journey. It's been, um, yeah, there's been hard parts for sure. And there's been good parts. I just want to circle back for a minute and just say, Thank you so much for sharing more about your family background. And I just want to pause and not move too quickly past and grieve and lament the fact that your your adoptive parents and family abandoned you. Because as a mom and as a child and really just as a human, that is just is so broken and painful. And so I'm just feeling the weight of that right now. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Can you tell us more about how you have um, Who or what God has brought into your life that has helped you through that reality and that grief process with your family? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I can't, like, there's too many people to name. Like, I look at my story and I look at my journey and I look at the people that God has placed in my life for different seasons and at different times. And who have encouraged me, who have spoken truth to me, spoken grace to me, who have pushed me um, to keep going, to to call out the glory that's inside of me, that God, that they see God has placed in me. Like it has been spiritual guides, it has been mentors, it has been uh, counselors, it has been um, staff members, it has been friends, brothers and sisters, like, like the list is so long and for that I am I am just grateful so full of thankfulness of the many people who continue to come alongside of me and walk with me in the context of relationship like I I attribute it to the relationship of how I've let myself be known and I've gotten to know other people and so yeah mm-hmm. in a conversation that we had earlier you mentioned the Allender Center and the Resilient Leaders Project that helped you put words to your story and your journey. What? How has that affected 
this process for you? I mean, I mean, I, I know you can see me on a screen, but I, my face just lit up when you asked that. Um, I have gotten to have the opportunity to uh, be engaged with the Resilient Leaders Project, um, the certificate program through the Allender Center. And I jumped into it this last uh, September and I just finished it up last week. And I mean, story is everything. We all have a story and where we've been and where we're going and who we are today, it all matters and it all fits together. And I think through the Allender Center and through this Resilient Leaders Project, I've been able to name the ways that God has used people and places and, um, and uh, yeah, how that's kept me moving in life, moving forward. And the idea is that like, it's not just that we've gone through hard things that has built resiliency, but how do we prepare for things ahead that might be hard? How do we build that resilience? And I think because it's incorporated in story, we went through something called a story workshop at the beginning of the of the program. And I gained words to be able to understand more of how to read my own story, how to name things in my story and the power behind naming things and the beauty in my story and the grief in my story, things that I just didn't know how to put words to before happened. My biggest takeaway from the program is that uh, the resilience itself is like about having like rest. When we have had hard seasons, when we have gone through darkness, being able to stop and pause and find rest and nourishment is what's going to increase your capacity in the long run, what's gonna keep you moving forward and not burning out. And so that has been gold for me. And I, I don't think I've heard that in other places and getting to hold on to those um, practices has been huge for me. I am, I'm forever grateful for those who have led that program and it's leading me into this next season of um, I'm doing the narrative trauma informed uh, workshop this next year. And so that's the next part that I feel like God is inviting me to. And so knowing more about story and understanding how story has informed how, who I am today, that's been significant. We all need that right now, that resilience, resiliency, because we're all, we've all gone through this dark quarantine strange time together and we're all gonna come out of it together at some point so that just strikes me that we're all gonna need rest and time to reflect on what happened to us that yeah awesome. it's, like a, it's like a collective trauma mm -hmm. that we've all we've all been under and been in and to get through it we're gonna need that rest and that nourishment we're gonna need people um, to be able to tell stories too. And we're going to need to be able to hear other stories and we're going to need to be able to be kind to ourselves. This is not the time to put contempt or um, judgment on ourselves for not being enough, doing enough, or even whatever it would be. Like this would be the time to lean in and be kind and curious about the things that are going on, things that this is bringing out in us. It's mm. a good word. Sandhya, I know that you also mentioned Bible study opportunities that you've had um, that 
because of your own story, it ties you to other, the stories of other women that you've met on campus. Can you share more about that? Yeah. So I recently moved to Minnesota, like two years ago, almost two years ago. And, um, my original plan was going to be, uh, doing Greek ministry. And then, um, as opportunities would come out, I would do, uh, I would get to disciple and connect with, um, other students of color. And so that's kind of what the two avenues that kind of God laid ahead for me as I went to Minnesota. Um, since being there for not even two years yet, I have had the opportunity to meet 12 girls who are adopted. And that's a lot for a short period of time, a lot. And not all of them are students, but the majority of them are. And actually, even this last fall, in a period of like two weeks, I met three girls, three of the girls who are adopted. And the uniqueness of the gals that I have met are all of them are transracial adoptees, meaning they are of a different ethnicity than the families that they have been adopted into. And primarily the gals that I'm meeting with um, who are transracial adoptees are all um, women of color who've been adopted into homes um, that are white majority culture. And so uh, it kind of just happened. And I, as I kept meeting gals, I got curious and I said, like, Lord, like, what do you want me to do with this? And I got the idea of bringing them together and let's have a meal. And they didn't know each other, but I kept getting to hear their story. And so it just made me think like, we need to be in a collective space, space where we can engage and learn and just share. And so we had a dinner in December and everyone was like, can we keep doing this? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I think it just made sense to call it an every other week, which then eventually turned into an every week group. And so I get to meet with these gals now every week and um, it fluctuates in numbers, but really it's the idea that we come together we're focusing on who does God say we are ultimately, like where is our identity coming from? And it needs to come from Christ, but also let's look at the adoption identity. Let's also look at the ethnicity and the ethnic identity. Um, and so it's been a, a sweet, sacred space of sharing story, of lamenting with one another over over losses and grief, um, encouraging one another and being curious about each other's stories and looking at like where has the enemy been at work and trying to steal, kill and destroy? And then also where has God's glory been just present? Where have you seen God's goodness showing up? And so um, I love <laughs> Thursday nights because I get to see these gals and it's, I've never been in a space like that before. And so, and the girls make up, up uh, between two different universities. And so it's been sweet to be able to um, see that flood to another campus as well. So cool. What are some of the commonalities that you're finding with those women, just as far as sort of the common narrative that we hear in the United States about adoption versus some of your common experiences? Uh, through transracial adoption? Yeah. Um, So one of the common things is that every single gal in this study has experienced some sort of uh, racism in their story, Um, microaggressions and macroaggressions. And um, every single gal has um, 
in college uh, experienced people who have made assumptions about them of are they the guessing game are you Chinese are you Japanese are you this are you that um, people trying to figure out what ethnicity they are um, every single gal including myself has insecurities that we carry um, about being a woman of color and where do we bring our whole selves um, where all of us is welcomed um, and yeah I mean Feel like those are some of the negative or some of the harder parts there's also good things of like every one of us has had opportunities to uncover pieces of our story and i think that's the thing about adoption is there's a lot of pieces that aren't there um because of the journey of adoption and so we've had opportunities to uncover small or big pieces of our story of um where we've come from and that's been really sweet to celebrate and to hold that with each other hmm. Sandia, can you share more about, um, as an international adoptee, you're connected by your roots to a greater narrative, being born in India, living your first year there as an orphanage. How is that something that you've explored? Or is that sort of a future, something you want to explore more? Or what does that look like in your life? Yeah. I... Um... I can tell you that I have explored it a bit and it actually, to be honest, like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Lion um, or not, but it's, I won't spoil the whole thing, but there are some similarities that I've seen in my own story, in my journey of trying to figure out where I'm from. And um, for a while there, like I didn't have enough information about my orphanage. And so, I was looking on, I actually looked on Google Earth as well and tried to figure out if I could find it. And then it happened to be KP Ohanan um, came and spoke at our winter conference one year and we got into conversation. And then he actually was the, the key that helped find um, my orphanage and locate it. And then um, I had the privilege of going with my good friend Heather to my orphanage a couple years ago and getting to meet some of the people who took care of me as a baby. And so um, it's a, it's been a quite a journey and, um, and there's still a lot of processing there. And yet I also feel so much, like there's processing because it's going to be an ongoing journey, mm -hmm. but I also have a lot of peace there of, I've seen the things that I've wanted to see. I've gotten to, um, experience my country of origin and so like um yeah i just feel like that's been a sweet gift to me mm -hmm. um as well as i love cooking indian food like i have fallen in love with the food from my birth country and i enjoy sharing that with other people as well and watching other people delight in that and so that's also been another way that i've connected back to my roots and understanding more about some of the traditions and um, though I am a Christian, I still am curious about why they celebrate the things they do, such as Diwali. And even like in, in the context of Diwali, like I have learned from other women um, who are Indian that there is a way to celebrate Diwali of darkness, um, uh, light winning over darkness versus the Hindu tradition of it. And so I've been able to celebrate it the last couple of years and just celebrating God's light. Like, um, with friends over food and drinks and so well and that was what you said your name meant too right to connect light to dark or to wait what did you say <laughs> yeah, <laughs> remind me to connect 
to connect darkness to light and a lower power to a higher power. Okay. Yeah. And so twilight is actually like that is another word for it. And it's like the, the time right between the darkness of the night and it leads us into the dawn of the morning. So it's that middle ground that connects it. Yeah. Okay. Now this is just, Sam wants to know this question. Um, did, because I'm intrigued with, I've just been learning about like the earth and being more connected to the earth and this idea of like returning to the garden, kind of a biblical theme, but did you feel a connection to the land when you went back to India or is that, was that something that you thought about or? It's funny. I haven't thought about it in that way, but it is interesting that when my plane landed in uh in india the first thing i said was this is where i'm from and i had looked out the window and saw the uh like tan dry brown dirt um that was at the airport like we're near the landing strip and i like that is like an image that is like forever with me like that that dirt like i don't know it was just it actually was beautiful it was like this beautiful tan color and i associate that with this is where i'm from and so there's just sweetness there mm -hmm. that's really cool um okay you mentioned something about the adoption triad do you know what that is could you tell us more about it Yes. So my friend Courtney and I uh, co-founded the Adoption Triad, and it's a social media platform um, on Facebook, and it's a place for the three parts of the triad to come together and have a space to share, a space to encourage, and a space to learn. And so the triad is adoptees, uh, adoptee, adoptive moms or adoptive parents or foster moms, and then birth moms. And so we value and we know that there is in that a lot of loss and grief and goodness and life and gratitude and all of that. And so we wanted to provide a space based off of both of our journeys and our narratives um, for others to be able to come together and have a collective space because everyone's voice matters um, in the triad. And so it's been really sweet. It. Um, it hasn't even been going that long and we've just seen people get connected to one another people share candidly on there and um tonight actually i can say this like we're recording a mother's day uh video courtney and i and we're going to put it on the triad uh space so that we can just share our experience around mother's day and offer opportunity to others to yeah, to be gentle with themselves as they enter into Mother's Day, because mm -hmm. all three parts of that triad, there's just a tenderness. Um, and so we want to give space and give voice to that. Mm. Okay, so this, the adoption triad, is that, did you say, is it specifically for transracial adoption? No, it's for anyone. Okay. Adoption or foster care. Okay. And can you, without... Um, compromising anyone's privacy can you tell us like what what are some of the types of conversations that are happening in that space that are helpful to people in their adoption journey yeah I think one of the things that I hear in a theme is that there's there's loss there's just 
a lot of loss in the themes of those of the parts of the triad. And when I see um, a woman post either about the loss of not knowing their birth mom or the loss of being a birth mom and not getting to have the experiences they thought they'd have with their their um, biological child or even as an adoptive mom, the loss that they experience of not having given birth to their daughter or son. I think there's a collective like holding of grief that's just honored in that space. Like no one's trying to fix someone or give advice. There's like this, like I see on the post, I'm sorry that you've gone through this loss or that must be really hard. I see a care and a tenderness of people entering into each other's stories. And I think that's huge. I think that there's healing in that. I think there's kindness in that. And I think that that's the space that God shows up in in the tenderness. And so um, I've noticed that. And then I think there's also, uh, there's this desire of people knowing that they can only know so much when they're a part of the triad. Like there's this resourcing that I've been seeing happening of, does anybody have books that I can teach my kid about how to do their hair if they're um, uh, a little boy or a little girl who come from a different ethnicity where their hair is very unique. Um, and so I've seen people share resources there um, or even books like, hey, I wanna engage in this conversation, but I don't know how to, what are the books I can read? And um, I just see this generosity of like, hey, have you heard of this book or, and so on. Mm-hmm. So I know that you are, you work with lenses which is, um, I know the tagline, see, understand, act. It's not a training. It's a, like a experience, right? You tell, you tell listeners because I'm probably getting it wrong, but, um, I was wondering if you could share just how your own adoption journey has intersected with people that go through lenses. Yeah. Yeah. So Lenses is a five day institute to help people, um, both staff and um, people in the greater community to see, understand and act toward biblical oneness. And it comes out of John 17. And um, I, it is an honor to get to work on the Lenses facilitation team and to be a part of these institutes, like just a humbling honor. And I went through Lenses uh, last year and had, um, just, uh, yeah, a very unique experience. And, um, it was very powerful and it really surfaced some things in my own story that I had to, to walk through and process. And then, um, eventually I applied and was recommended, uh, to be, on the facilitation team. And so now I've had opportunities a couple times this year to help facilitate Lenses Institutes. And it, I just love this work. And um, it is interesting to be able to bring in um, my story of adoption and my narrative of adoption in that um, one of the lenses I was at, I think there was like five different touch points of the people who are going through Lenses Institute um, who had adoption in their own stories or families. And there were some questions that were asked about like, uh, like people saying things like, I don't wanna ruin my kid. And so how do I have these conversations or how do I 
like engage in conversations around um, racism and so on. And so it just felt like there was a place for me to be able to share and um, out of my own experience. And yet I also say that knowing like I am one experience out of many adoptees and many transracial adoptees specifically. And so my experience doesn't equate to everyone's story, but I can offer what I do know and what I've experienced. And so I saw a couple things happen. One, getting to engage with that, those, um, most of them were parents and then um, our family members of others who who are adopted. And then the other thing I noticed is that because I shared um, earlier here on this podcast about being awakened to my own ethnicity and the journey, I also have seen just space to be able to share um, with those um, with staff of color who have gone gone through, who maybe haven't been awakened or are slowly being awakened and what that's been like to them or for them and their experiences. And so I've been able to offer even my own story of of creating a positive ethnic identity and the journey of that and how it continues. And so both of those are probably my own flavors that I bring into the Lenses team and institute. And coming out of that, can you talk about the beauty and ethnicity initiative? Yeah, I'd love to. And so um, there have been a couple of women who came through one of our Lenses Institutes. And uh, during one of our um, breakout times, we ended up uh, connecting over pieces of our story. And that eventually led to creating, uh, we're from all over the United States. And so we created a time uh, where we've been engaging over the last handful of weeks about the beauty of our ethnicity. And so we've talked about um, what does it mean to even understand where we're from? We've talked about what are the things we've heard about our skin color or about um, our ethnic, ethnic backgrounds that have been um, painful or wounding, microaggressions. Um, and then we've also and given name to those things. And then we've also talked about um, the glory that our ethnicity brings to this earth and to people. And so we've talked about how do we, kind of like that documentary idea, of like how do we go on a search um, and a discovery of where have people for me, um, where have people who are from India found their place here on this earth? Like where have they brought God's glory to this earth through their ethnicity? And so it's actually like been a very sweet journey, a very healing journey um, for myself, I hope for them as well. And um, we're just kind of continuing on. And I think from this opportunity it's creating just more conversation around the things that maybe we haven't named or had people to name these things with and so it's just providing um relationship and community to share these stories in